High Motor Podcast, Andrew Dowdy, Chase Kitty here on on this Final Four weekend. Chase, what approach are you taking to this? Are you watching the old games that are being played? Are you looking at the simulations, all of these simulated brackets, all that? I'm not doing any of that. None of that. I think any of that makes things way worse this weekend and just throughout the last few weeks. Which way are you going with this Final Four stuff or even just generally the tourney stuff? How are you handling it? Uh, not involved with it at all. I feel the same as you. Don't remind me of what I'm not watching. I am vaguely aware that Joe Lunardi is doing some kind of crazy bracket simulation thing. I know that Michigan State beat Gonzaga last night in the Final Four. That's pretty much all that I know. And I think I only know that because I play Streak for the Cash on ESPN. So I'm pretty tuned out of it and I'm focused on other things. Why do people care? I get, uh, I'll get. i answer my own question. People care about it because they're just thirsty for anything and anything to, to get them fired up. But... Honestly, why do you care about any sort of simulation? This is so stupid. I think it's validation for individual pockets of fans more than it's anything else, right? Like I have some friends that that write for Sports Illustrated West Virginia, and they were following uh, all of this, all of the different simulations, and one of them had West Virginia going into the Elite Eight. So they were like, hey, we got a little bit of content here. You know, West Virginia into the Elite Eight in one simulation. Look at that. We were but for uh, we were them. It's just year. it's just content for for an actual. And I guess that's why fans yell at at everything because that's what they want to do. So it's something else for them to get worked up about. But in terms of actually caring about it, is somebody seeing Joe Lenardi's tweet and be like, "Yep, Gonzaga." Final Four? I mean, who, or whatever you said, Michigan State, Gonzaga. Who actually gives a shit? Yeah, I, it's it's the same way, it. though, you know? Because there was another it. simulation for the West Virginia thing that said they lost in the first round to, like, Utah State. And the same exact people were like, ah, it's just a simulation. That's dumb. Like, so, you know. Well, then you had the people like, oh, that would never happen. I remember Rob Douster was one of the first people to do it, and he went through all the simulations and actually wrote up like game summaries and had the stats for every game, which I thought was actually kind of cool because he went to a, he took another step with that. And I think in the first round, Villanova lost to a 15 seed. I can't remember what the 15 seed was. And naturally everybody was like, Oh, that would never happen. Really? Like that, that would never happen. No history of that happening. I don't know that that's where, and that just kind of generally falls into the bucket of fans telling you that this is never going to happen. This game is never going to happen. App State's never going to be Michigan. That kind of just falls into that whole thing. Anyways, we're going to do a few things here on the show. Uh, first, we're going to yell at each other about non-revenue sports, and I think I'm excited about this because I think that we agree too much. Like after we did last week's episode, or after more, most episodes we do, when I'm editing it, I'll put it together and be like, you know, that was a that was a strong podcast episode, but we agree on too many things. I, I can't remember the last thing that we vehemently disagreed on. You, like even when we were going through, I had put together the, the 25 best college basketball hires. We were going through that. You're like, yeah, I mean, I could move some guys here and there, but generally I, I think you did a good job. And while I appreciate your opinion and I respect your opinion because I think you know what you're talking about, I would rather have, I know it's kind of, kind of trying to push you like in that direction. I think that Bull Ryan was a better hire than John Calipari or Roy Williams or Bill Self. And you agree with me, but I was hoping you would push back on that. So anyways, I'm, I'm excited that we're doing non-revenue sports here. And 
the, the conversation that we're going to have here, because even though that, that the cancellation of the men's basketball tournament and, and this growing fear for college football are getting the bulk of attention for college sports, basically all the attention, and we, we're going to talk about the old Dominion story here in a little bit. Chase, you're going to do a pretty good breakdown of that for us. Non-revenue sports are are a piece of that discussion because as we've seen over the last few weeks from from ADs and school presidents, former ADs, former school presidents have come out and said, some anonymously, some by name, basically saying we're, we'll be screwed if football isn't played. Losing the tourney set us back. It wasn't great not getting those NCAA distributions from the basketball fund, but without football, it's a whole new ball game. And one quote specifically stuck out for me. This was a group of five AD told this to Brett McMurphy of Stadium. I quote here, it would be incredibly difficult for us to survive financially without football revenue. That's how critical it is to each university. And I plucked this one specifically because he said survive financially. And to me, survival means keeping your sports intact, not having to eliminate wrestling like Old Dominion just did, not having to eliminate track or golf or softball, these non-revenue sports. We're on the same page with that, right? That's where we're talking about survival here, keeping your sports intact. You know, it might even be worse than that because I know we're going to get into this ODU stuff, but ODU cut wrestling, and even after the cut, they have made it clear that the issue here is not, hey, we, we might lose a sport or two. Their issue is financial solvency, which is... I think a lot worse than sort of the way you're framing this issue right now is the loss of some programs as we know it. ODU is in way bigger trouble than that, and I'm guessing others are too. So, yeah, I want to talk about ODU because I think that's a perfect example here. And I want to set it up by telling you where where I struggle. I mean, it's not even really a struggle. I think the best way to do this is to ask a series of questions to you because I'm I'm on the side of I don't dislike non-revenue sports at all. I didn't play them growing up. I know that you did. I don't dislike them at all. But my question first to you is, why is a non-revenue student athlete on scholarship? And to be very clear again, I don't care if a non-revenue student athlete is on scholarship. Good for you. You find a way to get found a way to get college paid for. You're setting yourself up for life because you're a good pole vaulter or whatever you are. You're playing a sport and getting college paid for you sincerely. But still, what is the reason behind giving? You ran cross country and track, I believe, right? Uh, I played tennis and and okay, and ran either track, one. Yeah. So let's take let's take one of those two. Let's say that what is the reason behind giving a tennis player a scholarship for a sport that is losing in many cases hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of dollars? What is the reason behind that, in your opinion? I think you almost have to zoom out to ha- a little farther to have this conversation, which is. Uh, Schools, if you go back 100 years, schools just wanted to play sports, right? It it wasn't the big, gigantic, billion-dollar industry it was now. We wanted to have a squash team, and we wanted to play against your squash team, and that's kind of all it was. It really was this pure amateur idea that we hear sort of maligned and made fun of by journalists on Twitter now. I, I really do think it started that way. The problem is people over the last hundred years grew to care so much about one or two sports that while most of the non-revenue sports sort of stayed in that we just for the love of the game area, football and, and men's basketball grew into this absolute economic monster. And now it's how do you balance the obvious 
revenue potential of this these one or two sports over here with everybody else who just loves playing the games. Uh, so that that I think is sort of where you start. Uh, the, I think the interesting part about me, you alluded to the idea uh, that I, I love a lot of non-revenue sports, which is a big difference between you and I. I like you said, I don't I don't think you hate non-revenue sports or anything. You just don't kind of you're kind of indifferent. You don't care. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's correct. And that's not even. And I have heard people say, well, you have a problem with women's sports. No, I have no problem. I see non-revenue sports all as the same. And there are some like women's volleyball teams that are revenue sports. There aren't that many of them. Or there are some women's basketball teams that do okay or pretty close to even. But no, it's not a matter of I, – I love watching golf. I love watching golf on TV. I enjoy playing golf. I, I And I just go back to the same question. I've always struggled with this is – why are we giving a scholarship to a golfer? Where, in your opinion, is the value in that? It's school to school. I've talked before on here, on this podcast, and on other podcasts about like when you look at the University of Virginia's athletic department, they love non-revenue sports. They're very good at non-revenue sports. They take a lot of pride in the fact that, like, no joke, their squash team is really good. They love that about themselves. It's but their part squash of their team identity. is not making money, correct? I would I not assume think it's so. not making money. Okay. I would assume that it is not. Yeah, um, but you know they go play like Yale, and they love that they're good at that. My sister went there, so and I had some friends that went there, so I have a little bit of insight. Uh, I didn't go there myself, but I kind of think I can speak uh, accurately about it. And they they like the fact that they're good at all of these different sports that unless you are from Virginia or went to UVA, you probably don't know about. Like, you probably don't know that their men's soccer team is gross. It's very good, and it's won a bunch of national championships. And and men's and women's tennis at UVA, very, very good. They like that about themselves. They think it's part of their identity. So I think that's the value in giving non-revenue athletes a scholarship, I think the problem is that different schools view non-revenue sports completely differently. And for every UVA out there or Ivy League school or UCLA that cares about a lot of their non-revenue sports, there's a lot more schools that are just sort of like, you know what? We know we got to give out a hundred and some women's scholarships so that we can have a football and a men's basketball team. So we just got to make sure the Jenga Tower is balanced and let's get on with our lives. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you here. So it seems like we have two buckets to kind of summarize and make sure I'm understanding what you said. It, for some cases, and I think you could even kind of put like Ivy League maybe in that same bucket as as um, Virginia, where how many people like at, at Harvard actually care about crew? I don't know. But everybody kind of knows, even though I don't know how many crew and rowing fans are in the country. People just generally know, and I'm not sure if it's because social network or what it is, but people understand that that is a Ivy League sport. So in that bucket, you're saying it's part of the brand and it's worth it for Virginia to have scholarships for squash because people see them differently and will hold the, the entire athletic department, the entire institution in higher regard because they have squash. That's yeah, it's how part of their saying. identity. Yeah, I, I don't even know if squash is a is a scholarship sport to be honest with you it might even be a club sport but, but I know your it's... point remains but your point remains where, where they're investing in it and yeah it's part of their identity marking however you want to put it I understand that completely and that that was one of the answers that I was kind of hoping you would give the second one is what are we doing at other schools where 
like for example, I'm I'm at I'm in Minnesota here. I didn't go to the U of M, but I, I actually worked there for a year and they have a rowing team. With all due respect, nobody cares about the rowing team. They don't make any money. They are there to satisfy Title IX requirements. And I'm not sitting here saying that women should not be given an opportunity. But going back to what I said before, I don't see it as a men versus a women thing. You is see it, it as really... a matters versus doesn't matter thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you I... you look at men's tennis the same way you look at women's lacrosse. Like there's exactly. No difference. And then so the the other question is to satisfy Title IX, it is worth it to you to invest whatever two million dollars in rowing to say we are a Title IX compliant university. Now that you have a choice. But it is worth it to you to pay $2 million to have a rowing team. Some schools are just going to say that because they have to do that, right? Yeah, totally. So and and if- I wonder I wonder how many, you know, maybe there are 50 really hardcore Minnesota rowing fans. And I think the weirder your interests are, I think the more likely you are to donate to your school, right? So like if... If you're a big ODU wrestling guy, you probably had a more intimate relationship with that team than if you're a big ODU football fan. Not just because of the longevity of both programs, and one is 10 years old and the other was like 70, but also just wrestling, like it's a smaller clique. It's not as big of a club. And I feel like when you have less people interested in something, your ties are automatically stronger. Okay, now that leads me to this. Could that money be better spent elsewhere the scholarship money the the sports expenses support staff all that let's say it's one million dollars to run a rowing team or any non-revenue team could that money and let's say most of that money is coming from football yeah yeah there could be donors um but football money is really spread around ncaa tournament money is spread around why should that million dollars go to 10 athletes or 20 athletes is there another way to spend that money where we can say we're going to either help people, help students, or help with financial aid, go to our medical school, something like that. Why are we putting this million dollars into rowing or tennis or golf? I mean, I think it just depends on your perspective, right? If you're a football and basketball guy, you look at that, I think, similar to how you're looking at this right now, which is, hey, what's the best use of this money? Is it putting it into a sport that's never, that's always going to be in the red and there's nothing we can ever do about it? Shouldn't we spend this money putting it back into football or basketball because that's what actually pays the bills around here? But perspective matters because if you're not football and basketball guy, maybe you're not sports guy at all. Maybe you're an art history teacher at the University of Minnesota. Now, I think a lot of their perspective is, hey, why are we putting this money into sports at all? Like who even cares about sports? And that's a that's a totally different conversation. There are defenses that are pretty reasonable to that question about front porch of the university. And, you know, we've talked about those things on this podcast before. I think it just depends on your perspective because I don't know, man. Like I, I mentioned I, I ran track and I played tennis, okay? I actually don't care that much about collegiate track and collegiate tennis. I do care a lot about I love collegiate softball. And I like to watch a lot of women's lacrosse too, because not, I never played lacrosse, but I, men's lacrosse is just, in my experience, watching it is like watching two guys get in a fist fight and they have, they both have sticks, right? Like women's lacrosse is so much more technical, which is why I like watching it. I think some people are probably going to hear me say that and go, okay, cool. We get it. Captain Virtue Signal, you're watching women's sports. I actually do just like those sports. They're really entertaining to me. 
again for you it's not a men's versus a women's thing it's, it's not it's it's the women sport. happen to be playing that sport exactly that it's women happen to play that sport i enjoy watching the mechanics of those sports i find it really interesting you know college softball is everything that's great about baseball but it's faster and it's shorter right how <laughs> college baseball games go on forever and i just don't have five hours to watch a college baseball game so I don't know, man. It's just, it's all about priorities. I think this, this conversation is, gets so circular if you have it for long enough or you mm-hmm. go deep enough on it. And it just comes down to, hey, man, what do you like and where do we want to put this money? And that's why I almost want like an AD to come out and it, I, I don't even know if this would ever happen. So I'm not even going to go down that road. I more want a university to, to just say, we don't think that our, and maybe we can use this is where ODU comes in wrestling. That's, a different kind of deal, and we'll talk coronavirus here in a second, but I almost want a university to come out and say, you know what, we're dropping a million dollars in our tennis program. We can use that money better. With all due respect to our tennis players, we are so glad that you're here. We're glad that you're getting a free education, all that. But we are, frankly, wasting money on you. We could be putting that money toward other programs that help more people. After all, we are a higher education institution. Our mission is to educate as many people as possible and without sounding too cheesy, to make the world a better place. How is our tennis program doing that? Right. Couldn't you spend that money on a computer lab for all the students? Exactly. And I have a hard time with, and you can, if you want to, like you have argued kind of here, that that tennis is part of the bigger picture. If you want to argue that that is better than having a computer lab or funding financial aid for for underprivileged people, that's fine. Make that argument. I don't even know if I'm going to go against it. The problem that I have here is I think that you're wrong. I'm sorry, I just think that's the wrong argument. When, And even though I this kind of goes into another bucket, I like athletics a lot, I would never donate to a football program. If I had millions and millions of dollars, I am not giving a football program $1. I love sports, but I, I'd have a hard time saying that giving a million dollars to the Virginia Tech or ODU or whatever Bayou football program is better than giving it to the medical school or giving it to some sort of department that can directly benefit people. Do you agree with that part of it, or am I the minority there? I understand it. I think I get around it by giving to both, so I feel balanced about it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that might be like cheating in this conversation. But you think that's an extremely fair... I mean, can we really sit here and say that, yes, I get that... I'm not saying football doesn't matter. It it matters in real life. It, it, It changes people's lives. I get that. Football is not more important, as we're seeing right now. Football is not more important than medicine, than hospitals, than doctors, than all of that stuff. We agree with that, right? Sure, yeah. That's why I'm always surprised. And this goes, I spent two years after college working in fundraising at the University of Colorado, and there was a constant tension of, athletics stealing other people's donors and it would happen all the time there might be this donor that that graduated from the medical school or liberal arts or whatever and they haven't given yet and athletics sweeps in and says hey maybe come over and and sit in a suite with a suite with us at the football game and then the, the medical school or whoever is pissed off because all of a sudden they have taken a donor that could have given to a great cause of the medical school and now you're giving to football that's where I, I struggle with this because I think it falls under the same category of is men's tennis, is women's tennis or golf or whatever, those millions of dollars that we're spending on that, why are we doing that? Why are non-revenue coaches paid $200,000? Why is the rowing coach paid $250,000? Why should a women's golf coach 
make that kind of money. There is no argument, in my opinion, for paying a women's golf coach three hundred grand when you could give that three hundred grand to research, to find a cure, to do something that actually matters in life. I think there's one argument, and it's the only argument that matters, which is because we want to. Um, you know, I, but I there's no actual reasoning behind it. It's more of we want a men's we, tennis program. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want to be serious and competitive about men's tennis, then you need to pay a men's tennis coach, you know, a serious and competitive uh, competitive salary. I actually, I think my bigger issue, it's not people that pay the most. It's people that are at the middle of the road. It's like, hey, why are, if, if you have this, like you have a tennis program and you're paying, you know, the, the range of college tennis coaches, let's say goes from $60,000 to $600,000. I understand the school that pays $600,000. I really do. They want to be the best. I don't understand the school that pays $80,000. Like if you don't want to be there, why are you why do you have the program? Like that's the those are the people I don't get. Be, yeah, put that $80,000 somewhere else. Cut the program. And the answer, and maybe this moves us toward the ODU conversation. The answer to that question is, well, because we have to have X team to satisfy Title IX. Yeah, let's talk about ODU. And and for those of you who didn't see, they, they cut wrestling. They announced that they're cutting wrestling a few days ago. We're talking here on Sunday. I think Chase said that was on Wednesday or Thursday maybe of last week. And there, you can talk about this specifically, but it seems like they're citing coronavirus as one of the reasons, correct? From, from everything I've read, and I've read as much about this as possible uh, because it is sort of in my backyard. Norfolk's about an hour away from, from Richmond. Um. They they already had financial issues, and they were already sort of in panic-adjacent mode. And now the coronavirus stuff, which has put additional financial strain, it's, it's you know, the, the NCAA tournament was going to make $867 million, and 60% of that money goes to member schools, right? The whole shares program. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to lose that money now. They're they're going to lose all kinds of different money. The football season is being threatened, and that's you know eleven million dollars that they would take in from there or whatever. So they already had issues, and this has exacerbated those very real, very serious issues and put them in a place where they now feel like, hey, this is the moment now where we have to make a really hard choice. Or we're going to have to make even worse choices down the line. I, I know you and I were texting a couple weeks ago that you were watching Margin Call, and it's yeah. it's that movie where where Jeremy it's the it's the moment in the movie where Jeremy Irons stands up and goes, "This is it. Do you get it? This is it." He pounds the table and goes, mm-hmm. "We got to move right now, today. We got to sell all this stuff." And that's the moment that ODU seems to be at right now. In there, but in their announcement, going back to my original question, since since you didn't really even answer my question. <laughs> Did I not? Did they Whoops. did they cite coronavirus in any sort of release? Have they made any sort of comment about coronavirus, or are they just generally giving in this environment we cannot afford? They they I think they suggest and maybe even outright say like, hey, with coronavirus happening right now, this is like this is the final straw that is going to put us into very serious financial issues. Yeah. Do you believe them or do you see kind of like we were talking about before we hopped on here, the hot seat being 
an excuse for maybe an AD that doesn't want to fire a coach. Now he can say like, well, he didn't get the opportunity in, in the ACC tournament. He didn't get the opportunity in, in the NCAA tournament, the NIT, whatever. We're just going to hang on to him for another year. Do you think that ODU, and this is not going to be the first one, we're going to see this from other schools. That is extremely clear. I think whether or not we play college football or not, people are going to bleed from not getting that tournament money. Do you think that they're just using that as an excuse, saying this is a convenient time, Friday night news dump? It wasn't actually a Friday night. I'm just you know generalizing there. Do you think that they actually are doing this because of coronavirus, or this is just an excuse? I think it could be both. And I want to I want to stress that I don't have any like inside information here. I'm totally just going based off what I've read. Uh, when you when you read the numbers, it does make some sense. Uh, I think the Virginia Pilot came out with a really good article that's that goes through all of the different things that that can impact this, and it talks about the money they lost from the NCAA tournament, and it talks about the fact that Conference USA as a whole, those member institutions are getting way less money after a bunch of schools jump ship and went to the American, and then that triggers a bunch of bot a bunch of contract clauses with ESPN and they get to downshift dramatically the amount of money they're giving to the conference. Like there's, there's all these factors. The part that I don't get though, is this, the wrestling program costs about $1 million and they say, we had to make a hard choice. We have to get rid of wrestling. Okay. I get that. But wrestling is like a 70 year old program. They had a top 20 recruiting class a couple of years ago. They had an all American last year. Like it's a program that is relevant. This is not just some program that exists. They cut wrestling and it's $1 million price tag, but they've got a $1.2 million women's volleyball team that's set to come online next year. So like that doesn't make sense to me at all. So they don't have a volleyball team right now. Correct. So they're starting a volleyball it, team. It's about to have its first season. Well, I assume maybe. that politics come into play there. There maybe there. I'm just guessing. I think it's here, Maybe there's, yeah, or yeah, or it could be like you said, a combination. Maybe I think it's a Title Nine issue, and, and all of this becomes infinitely more complicated when you have to balance: will we play? Will we not play? Coronavirus stuff. Balance the budget and also stay within Title Nine range. Like it's, I understand why Title Nine exists. But it but also cost, leads to really weird decisions like this where you're doing things that logically don't make any sense at all, but but you have to do them because of Title IX. Yeah, at what cost? Are, and I, I don't even dislike Title IX. I think it's it's kind I don't know what your alternative is to Title IX, but still, it's kind of backwards when you're just— cre- I mean, all those rowing teams popped up around Title IX because you can get— 50, 60, 70 scholarships if you have to, because you have a football program that's making money that has 85 scholarships, we now have to create a women's rowing program and sink $3 million into it because we have a football program that's making money. That has never, ever made sense to me. And I, again, I don't know what the alternative is there, but that just seems extremely backwards. We're making money off of one program, therefore we have to waste money on another program. Right. And and I've thought about this a lot because I agree with you. You have to have something like Title IX. You can't just say, okay, Title IX, you know, 1970s, the U.S. women are awesome in the Olympics now. Good job, everybody. Uh, we, we accomplished our goal. Let's just get rid of Title IX now. I don't think you can do that, right? 
you have to have something that makes the playing field fair. What's the alternative there? What else could you possibly do? That's why I I don't agree with everything that Title IX is, but then when somebody will say we got to get rid of it, what 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 could you possibly do? And I get that there should be opportunities for men and women, but I also don't see it, and I know that 99% of revenue sports in college sports are men's sports, but when the money doesn't line up, what is the cost there? Yeah, I wonder if there's some way to make like a new version of Title IX where football just isn't part of the equation. We we all look around and go, hey, you know what? Football's paying the bills for everybody, and football has you know a massive amount of scholarships attached to it that it's too hard to balance. You know, it takes six different women's programs to balance out a football program. So let's let's make football exempt from Title IX balance. Balance all of your other programs. And football sort of lives over here in this magical space where they're immune from Title IX stuff. Or just I wonder any revenue sport. I mean, if if men's baseball, which there is not, there isn't women's baseball, but baseball, I, I don't even know how many revenue programs there are for baseball in the country. A dozen, maybe a couple dozen at the most. Why not just exempt all of those revenue sports? Those sports are making money. Like you said, they're making money for our institution. Why are we penalizing a school because of that? That's what it seems like to me. So why not not only exempt football, why not exempt any program? And there should be some incentive there. If if your your school wants to add sports or you want to add scholarships or but there's an imbalance there, get more revenue sports. I don't I know that schools are focused on making money. But maybe there needs to be more incentive there for you to be a revenue sport. That way you can offset some of the Title IX stuff and you don't have to hurt yourself by if you have a successful revenue program by adding all, all these other sports that, yeah, they're great opportunities for men and women, but you are spending so much money that could go elsewhere. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I, th- I think there IX. are a smaller amount of the, of teams that are in the black than, than maybe we all realize. Uh, I feel like I've read that somewhere recently. Uh, to go back to the ODU thing, with them, it's – I mean there's so many issues that make the o, the ODU thing fascinating. Like I feel like it will be studied someday because it's not just the Title IX stuff. It's they, – they – for years and years, ODU had no connection with their alumni because they didn't have a football team. And so they would, they would survey a bunch of people when they graduate ODU or like 10 years after they graduated ODU. And a lot of them say, hey, we never come back to campus. We don't come back for homecoming. We don't, you know, we're not engaged with the school we went to because there's no football team. You know, we, we don't care. Like, why would we come back to campus? So they were like, wow, we have to make a football team. So 10 years ago they did. And they were in the FCS for like two or three years. And then they went, okay, wow. You know, we got Taylor Heineke who's going to go to the NFL for half a second. And hey, wow, looks like we're awesome because we're in Norfolk and there's a lot of great there's a lot of great talent around here, so let's just go straight to the FBS, which is when all of this went to shit for them. They're trying to they, they put twenty five million dollars that they really didn't have into a renovation for their football stadium ten years ago. Now they're renovating again. That project's like seventy million, and this is on top of all the other problems that they're having financially. So it's just it's I I don't want to say it's like incompetent because I don't know all of the details and maybe they maybe that money was there. But it does seem odd that you're spending $70 million to renovate a football stadium that you don't have for a football team that's won like eight games the past four years. Yeah, and I think that honestly probably gets into a, a 
bigger discussion. Like you said, it'll be fascinating to study this, but that that gets into more of a a finance question because I know how I don't know how it is at ODU, but a lot of schools, if if your athlete, if you want a new football facility that costs a hundred million dollars, the school can loan you money or through the state, however it's funded, as long as you hit a benchmark. Like if you get fifty percent of your your fundraising through private donations or whatever the number is at your school, forty, fifty, sixty percent, it's pretty low. It's around that that fifty percent mark. You can start building, and in a lot of cases, the the athletic department never pays back that money. I mean, there there will be shortfalls for years and years and years, if not decades. A lot of the facilities that are around college football just haven't been paid for, and I think that's just a bigger discussion for a bigger day or even a, a full-on uh, study or an investigation into it, but I think that's also a huge problem. All right, you want to move on? You got anything else here? Uh, I just think to, to put a bow on it, I think we are coming to a head, uh, and, and maybe coronavirus is, is expediting this conversation, but we're coming to a breaking point on the model that we have right now that has been developing over the last 50 years on revenue sports and the difference between Power 5 and everybody else and the difference between football and all other sports and Title IX and all of these things. This system is not going to last forever. I think smarter people than me that understand all of this a lot better have come to that conclusion too. So I just wonder when it's going to happen because it it feels like the dominoes are falling and they're going to start falling faster and faster. Let's play you're wrong. We haven't done this in in several weeks here. Uh, I got a few of them for you. Number one, last week we talked about, like I said, the the best college basketball hires since 2000. And I think next week I would like to talk about the best college football hires since 2000. I just did a top 25 for that. So going off of that, the best college football hires since 2000, Tell me that I'm wrong for ranking David Cutcliffe at Duke ahead of Nick Saban at LSU. Hmm. And I know that that kind of it's not a great you're wrong because it requires a little bit of of investigation. Right. And I'm thinking I, I, the reason I have, that I mean, the reason that I put it is I know you don't have Duke pulled up, but you know that Duke was super shitty. They had three winless right. seasons in the eight years before he got there. I think they had nine total wins in those eight years before David Cutcliffe got there and then. Obviously, he's found incredible stability. I think he was a better hire than Nick Saban at LSU. All right. So I think the argument, if you're gonna, if you're gonna say you're wrong, I'm just sort of talking this through out loud. I'm with you on the we got a lot of juice out of this hire. It was a good hire at a bad program. He's turned it into a respectable program. I'm with you on the value of all that. I can see why other people would be more national title or bust centric in this conversation. But Saban the heights with Saban and LSU were pretty high. So I'm inclined to agree with you that, that hires like Cutcliffe at Duke are undervalued, but I still don't know that you could say it's a better hire than Saban at LSU. Would you say you apply the same logic? And we've talked about this several times since you brought it up when we were saying um, who lost the most with the canceled NCAA tournament. We were going back and forth kind of like on, on San Diego State, Dayton versus like a Kansas, for example. And you had said that it, it lost more for Dayton because a Final Four run for Dayton would mean a hell of a lot more than a Final Four national championship for Kansas. Oddly, can we almost flip it here? And I know that it, it's kind of weird, but is LSU, because they won the national championship in 2003 with Saban, is that worth more to LSU and then however much you think that Saban changed that program moving forward with Miles and now at Orgeron 
that is worth more. The national championship and the path that Saban set LSU on is worth more than Duke having a stable program. I do, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I don't think I'm being inconsistent here. With basketball, the postseason has tangible milestones, right? You made the NCAA tournament. You made the Sweet 16. You made the Final Four. Like There, there are obvious benchmarks there. With football... It's a lot more nebulous. It's, you know, bowl games. And did we go to a BCS bowl? Did we go to a New Year's bowl? Did we go to the playoff? Did we go to a bowl at all? Like, like it's, it's harder to quantify what a good season is, I think, in football. So even though Duke has had some nice spots and some eight and nine win seasons and some things that for Duke are very good and Cutcliffe has run a really remarkable program. Uh, in terms of both the quality of the teams and I think the the quality of the of the young players that he brings in, it's I still think that's less tangible than Nick Saban winning the 2003 national championship. You know, you didn't change my mind. I still think I'm I'm right on this because I think that Duke, and that's where it's hard to separate. I I think Duke hiring David Cluck, David Cutcliffe was harder than LSU hiring Nick Saban. That's I would agree with I, that. That's why I kind of separated it and said that's what I would call a better hire. But you've also started to move the needle of my mind here a little bit, and I don't know why I didn't think about it. But, yeah, like it's more nebulous for Duke to say, well, we had an eight-win program. That's great, but that's not the Elite Eight, even though that's like almost kind of the equivalent of it, right? So you've kind of changed my mind with that a little bit. I think – I don't know. I, I think going to the Elite Eight is a lot better than an eight-win program. Football season, well, right. right? So there, yeah. So the Sweet Sixteen, whatever you want to call it, or like a, a NCAA tournament win for Duke when they won those ten games, it was like, like going a, to a New Year's Six game bowl game would be the equivalent of like making the Sweet Sixteen, right? The the top I don't sixteen. Know. I, I don't know what the equivalent is. I think but they're you, about equivalent. Yeah, but you made some good points though. Number two, if these uh, stay at home quarantine orders are lifted by June, so we now have two months for them to get listed and we get to get back to some sort of normalcy. Basically this thing has really calmed down to the point where people can go back to school, go back to their jobs. If that happens by June, maybe even July, I'll extend it here. At least one college basketball team will fire their coach. One team that wanted to do so before this hit and felt bad doing so. At least one team is going to say, okay, we're clear. Great coach. You're gone. Uh, I'm going to say you're wrong. And what I like about your position is that all you need is one, and I need to hold everybody. <laughs> usually you're on the— And I'm usually on the side of the math, right? But I do think that in June, the spotlight is going to be way higher. Everybody is going to be able to put the pieces together. It's probably the only firing, so it's, you know, the news cycle is way bigger than if you just are dumping your guy with the 20 other guys that are getting dumped on, you know, March 14th or March 16th or whatever. Um, so I, I actually do think people feel committed at this point, and the firings that have happened uh, are, are going to be the firings that happen, and everybody's just going to roll into next year and go and think to themselves, you know what? This is a weird, non-recurring issue, and if we got to go through an extra year, we're just going to do it. I crafted that your wrong statement for you, thinking that that would be an easy win for me yeah. because you are always on the side of well, usually am, it only yeah. takes one. Usually, but am, not. But that that time, no. You always surprise me. Last one here, number three, and this is going off of something that I 
tweeted a couple weeks ago. I asked on Twitter, what is the best bad movie? Like, you know it's bad, but you like it. The best bad movie is House of Wax. The best bad movie is House of Wax. You know what, let me pull this up to did, while you think about it. Okay. Some people replied with uh, Lake Placid, Starship Troopers, Shooter, uh, Ginger Snaps, whatever the hell Ginger Snaps is, Internship, Caddyshack, Con Air. Uh, Con Air Adventures, is a great bad movie. <laughs> yeah, Curly Sue, Ready to Rumble, uh, Remo Williams. I think House of Wax is the best bad movie. I'm not really into, like, horror thriller type movies though nor am i that's so, why it's bad that's i don't know uh can you think of a better bad movie though yeah i can't think of one off the top of my head other than some of the ones that you just named like i would take shooter over it any day shooter is, is that a great, bad, bad movie. my i pushed back on it because i when somebody replied shooter i said but is shooter a bad movie i don't think it's a bad movie that's fair it's probably not a bad movie that that's is fair. the difficulty here like con air i I don't think that's a bad movie. Air it's Force not, One. It's not great, and it's old. It feels really old. After, it felt old five years after it came out, but I don't think it's a bad movie. House of Wax is a bad movie. I think Air Force One is a better bad movie than House of Wax. Yeah. That's actually a good one. Thank you. Yeah. I never would have gotten there without Con Air, but Con Air just like, you know, the brain biscuits were turning. Do you think Caddyshack is a bad movie? No. I think it's incredibly overrated. I think it's overrated. But, I don't think it's bad. But that doesn't make it... It's kind of like you're feeling with, with Breaking Bad. You like Breaking Bad, but you think it's overrated. Yeah, I, watch- I, I take a lot of heat for the Breaking Bad thing. I'm not even saying it's a bad TV show. It's a great TV show. I just don't think it's number one. I'll be back on Wednesday with a new episode, hopefully a nice guest for that. And then Chase and I will be back next weekend for some some friendly conversation amongst friends. Are we friends? Like if you were saying somebody something to, to I tell people my friend I, Andrew yeah yeah w- would you say like my friend or this guy I talk to in a microphone every I say my friend Andrew I think the better question is does your wife consider me your friend no I didn't think so thanks for listening to the High Motor Podcast I saw a friend today it had been a while and we forgot each other's names but it didn't matter because deep inside the feeling still remained the same we talked of knowing one before you've met and how you feel more than you see and other worlds that lie in spaces in between